Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 7 with Hans Anderson. to episode seven of the makers of sport podcast i'm your host adam martin at t adam martin on twitter if you're liking the show please take a minute to rate it and or leave a comment at itunes uh, you can get there by going to makersofsport.com slash itunes also i would love to engage with uh you listeners in discussion uh, if at all possible. So uh, feel free to leave comments on the episode pages and on the uh, on the site. Uh, you can find those episode pages at makersofsport.com forward slash episodes. Today on the show, as mentioned in the last episode, uh, our conversation takes a little bit of a different turn as it regards to our recent themes of traditional design in the sports world. I'm excited to welcome Hans Anderson of the ESPN Emerging Technologies Department. Hans is a senior concept developer with the Creative Technology team, where he is responsible for inventing new real-time rendering and augmented reality technology. He has helped pioneer the integration of real-time graphics with film and television production, creating the world's first real-time rendered virtual reality television serial, the Emmy award-winning Disney's The Book of Pooh uh, in 2001. That same process and similar technologies have actually gone mainstream in films such as The Lord of the Rings and Tintin. Hans specializes in programming languages, user interfaces, motion capture and sensing, uh, real-time rendering, and very high-volume data provision renderers. Hans, man, welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Hey, man, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I touched briefly on your background, but can you can you go a little more in depth in how you ended up doing what you're doing and then specifically your your path to the emerging technology department? Sure. Um, happy to do that. My career started basically with Douglas Trumbull, who was the really the father of special effects or visual effects, as they're called now. And he's still going at it. He won the uh, Oscar. I think it was two years ago for Proof of Life. Uh, Tree of Life, rather, with um, Brad Pitt, and he's a really creative guy. He has uh, he has his personal think tank up in the Berkshires of Massachusetts, where I happen to be working. I was brought into his company, and in his company, kind of grew into what I'm doing now. We were doing full motion simulators for Hitachi International, and uh, doing kinds of uh, very first uh, virtual reality or augmented, cinema, augmented reality or virtual cinema that uh, James Cameron now calls it. He kind of put the label virtual cinema on it. But back then, um, quite a bit before James Cameron got into the business, uh, Doug was really pushing that. And um, I joined up with him. Then we made the first, you know, like you said, the first uh, real-time render or, uh, television show. And what that means really is that uh, the computer's, are being used to paint the backgrounds or to paint the environment. And the camera is moving and the environment looks like it should look uh, when your, you know, your camera would be moving inside of that 
in the case that we were doing uh, Winnie the Pooh, you know, you're in the 100-acre forest and foliage, leaves, all those things were traditionally very, very complex. They still are complex for uh, computers to render quickly. And we came up with a technique that made it look like a, a picture book and we were able to put real uh, puppets inside the 100-acre wood and do it uh, all on green screen. And that quite a long time ago now, I guess, 2001. And then uh, we took that, went to uh, and did the first film version, the first film uh, real-time rendered for film, post-production, uh, motion capture, the whole nine yards with uh, Sony. And then I basically got out of the business uh, with Doug and moved to Louisville and started my own design firm there and continued to do consultation for film and television clients. At a point then, about three years ago, uh, I got a call from ESPN and I'd never thought, oh, ESPN, what do they have to do with you know, this stuff? I always thought of this stuff as something ESPN would never do, right? You know? Right. But uh, the guy who is one of our chief technologists was actually one of my coworkers. And uh, when I was working with Douglas Trumbull, and he said, hey, Hans, why don't you come see what we're doing up here? Because uh, he had been kind of watching what I was working on. And, you know, when you're in an industry that's that small, people know about each other. And uh, so I came up here and it was, I was just blown away. ESPN is, uh, has an, a technological maturity and innovative culture that I don't think is matched by any other broadcaster in the world. Um, and I was just, I was floored because um, you have 150 people here approximately who are doing full-time R&D. Uh, you know, it's applied R&D, most of it. But uh, they're doing R&D in everything from augmented virtual reality to robotics to uh, stereoscopic cameras, um, you name it. Anything that could be used to uh, enhance the, the, the product that you know, serves sports fans uh, all, anywhere they are. And uh, so I was kind of blown away. And uh, basically they very kindly uh, offered me a position here. And I uh, basically joined the team. It's uh, the team that does, well, originally uh, did the yellow line, uh, the first down line. And if you think about what a big impact that marker on the field, that simple marker, although it's not so simple technically, that, that simple marker just changed the way people watch the game, particularly people who aren't aficionados. You know, it opened up new market segments that just had, had been closed to, to right. the Podcast to that point, and um, and so I'm privileged to work with some of the guys who actually created that, um, and that's a great example of augmentation on the frame. The yellow line augments or enhances the frame, and as the cameras move in the stadium, the yellow line stays on the field, right? And the way the way that's done is, you know, there are various techniques. It's funny. Originally, it was done uh, by having calibrated cameras, you know, so you, you know exactly how much you're tilting, you know, how much, you know, you know the way the lens is. And another one uh, was using, you know, different techniques through the lens, sorts of uh, optical image analysis. It's, it's fascinating stuff. Anyway, I'm, this is a very long and meandering path to just saying uh, how I got to ESPN and, and the kind of stuff we do. Currently, projects that I've been wor working on um, – have been things like uh, virtual pitch. Virtual pitch is where we basically capture every single pitch thrown in the major leagues. 
we can capture that as a series of coefficients, uh, you know, that allow us to loft a 3D curve that represents the path of that pitch through the studio. And the, uh, the talent can basically say, hey, let's call up this pitcher from last night's game and let's have him throw the pitch he threw in the third inning and let's see it. And then he kind of scrubs through it. And it's all done virtually. We actually interface with uh, game engines from Sony and uh, Microsoft, the Xbox and the, and the PS3, to perform some of these stunts. And there you have it. That's the, that's the kind of thing we, are, we, we do. And then, and then most recently working on DC2, which is our new facility here, which if any of you guys ever, if, Adam, if you ever get a chance to come up here, it's one of a kind. I mean, it's pretty crazy. And uh, we have a system called the Loom that was actually, um, fortunately, it was, it was my idea. And uh, there were some good people that actually gave it a shot. And um, what it does is it allows us to take any number of displays, physical displays, in any orientation in relationship to one another in geospatial coordinates um, and use them all as one display. And we can take any number of videos from the Internet, from you know, Internet streams of video. We can take images. We can take real-time, uh, high-res, uh, full-resolution broadcast-quality video. And we can mix them and blend them and throw them around the studio and all, and all in real time. And so it's pretty cool. The first place you'll see that in the new studio, if you've, if you've seen some of the broadcasts uh, for SportsCenter, yeah. you'll see that large wall. It's about 56 displays. And it looks like a piece of sculpture almost. Um, so that's that's been taking most of my time lately. Can you can you give us uh, like a a brief definition just for anybody that might not know what augmented reality is? Something something sort of in in uh, basic terms as you can. Sure, absolutely. Um, augmented reality just means taking an image of reality and putting something on top of it that's not real. Okay, so if you have a, a set of um, and, and that may be too abstract. Let me see if I can bring it, bring it home. People are more and more aware of and um, entranced by Google Glass. Google Glass is a mainline market product for augmented reality. And what it does is it takes the view from your eyeball and it, it basically interposes some kind of computer-generated graphic over that view. Um, if you know anything about the Oculus Rift, if you're into computer gaming, um, yeah. that's, it's a VR head, uh, head device, uh, head tracking device that basically allows you, if you mount a camera on the front of it, now you, you're taking a camera of where your head is pointed, a picture of where your head is pointed, and you're putting game assets on top of that as though they were in the real room, you know, in the room with you. Uh, and the way they do it is they take the camera on uh, the Oculus and your head position and they put that a version of that camera in the game and they take your head position and they animate that camera just like your head is being animated. And then they take the game creature or the game graphics and they put them on top of the real, the real camera output. We do the same thing all the time at ESPN. Um, if, if you ever see a situation, for example, where uh, we have graphics that appear in studio and they look like they're sitting on the floor hovering in the air. And when the camera moves, they stay where they should stay. Uh, that's a good example of augmented reality. We're taking the real camera shot and we're putting computer-generated graphics in space on top of it. 
Okay. If you look, it's not the same thing. For example, Adam, is if you look at a normal uh, frame of our broadcast, you'll typically see a bottom line or the ticker at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's computer generated graphics, but they're they're locked in two D at the bottom of the frame. Right. They always sit in the same place. If I were to take that two dimensional ticker and set it on the floor in the studio, and then no matter where the camera went, that ticker stayed on the floor. That's augmented reality. Yeah. So Sports Nation, is it Sports Nation that has sort of like the 3D look coming out from the uh, That's desk? exactly right. In fact, okay. uh, if you ever Sports Nation use the word cloud, I wrote the first implementation of the word cloud. So they use, they basically oh, have very cool. dimensional stuff, you know, on the table, up, popping up and down. And, and those don't exist in the real world. It's just a, you know, it's just a, a prop on set. The, a table sits there. But we basically render those boxes um, with a computer in the frame where that table is, no matter where the camera is. Very cool. So there's a, there's a difference between like virtual reality and augmented reality, right? There is. Um, but it's kind of, you know, it's one of those industries that is a little bit wild, wild west because it's very young. And so the terminology is, is fairly, um, fleeting. The term virtual reality generally refers to the majority of what you see is painted by a computer. Okay. It's not real. Whereas augmented reality is the minority of what you see is not real. <laughs> it's one, two terms basically indicating an, a, a quantity of the frame, the resulting image, what percentage of it is, for, you know, is, is generated by a computer or not real. Gotcha. Your department is not necessarily, I guess, consumer facing, so to speak, at ESPN. So does it operate as kind of like a, an R&D uh, lab? We do. Um, but and we have labs. We have labs in Princeton, uh, in Florida, in India, we have labs here. Uh, and the lab is a place where we basically start projects and we just need space for project development. And yeah, we are, we are not per se consumer facing, except that we will take uh, new products, new, new applications into the field. So I'll go to Aspen for winter X games. We have uh, a system that, that was, that our group did, which is uh, called the Huck tower, where we basically in real time, we show the height, the, the, the very precise height of the snowboarder in the half pipe, the super pipe. So the super pipe is basically a 600 foot long snow half tube, right? And anywhere they can jump up above the lip anywhere along that and they'll do tricks and whatnot. One of the things they get graded on or, or scored on is height out of the pipe. And so, um, you know, it was really sweet to see on a giant thermometer on the side of the mountain as they're jumping exactly how high they're going outside of the pipe, no matter where along that 600, you know, 600 foot uh, lip on both sides, they pop up. You know, if they only pop up once, well, you see it pop up. And the way that was done is is quite clever. It's done optically, um, and that allows us to support that sort of measurement in the freezing cold on the side of a mountain in the middle of a snowstorm. <laughs> you know, whereas you might be like, well, we ought to do it with laser beams. Well, believe me, we thought about it. We ought to do it with radar. Thought about it. Uh, ought to do it with uh, you know radio frequency tags or FID tags. Um, 
thought about it, tried it, failed. And it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting engineering solution. So it, all of that to say, there are many times where our product is right there at the event and we have to, you know, operate it or train folks in it or test it, do that sort of thing. What's, what's the, uh, what's like the structure of, of your department? So we're familiar with, uh, most, most of us that interact with the show are familiar with kind of the traditional, maybe agency mentality where you've got creative directors, designers, uh, that kind of thing. What, what is your structure like? Cause I know your title is senior concept developer. Yeah. The, the titles are kind of an internal thing. You know, if my title were, um, <laughs> Vice President of Awesomeness, well, that would be great. But we have our internal titles, and, and they don't really tell you a lot. The, the proof in the pudding is you ask my wife what I do, and she kind of, or my kids, and they're kind of like, ah, we don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> the, um, the structure within the department is really like a, an R&D lab. So it's, it's less like a design atelier or a workshop. Although many of the activities that I you know, many of the things that I personally do day to day are similar to what a designer would do. You wear a lot of hats. You're, you're, you're a generalist within a, uh, a certain field, right? Uh, and you, for example, I will still do design work to express the idea. If, I, if I'm going to pitch a concept, I come up with an idea, well, oftentimes you need collateral. It even goes to the level of naming and identity, and even to the to the degree that you know, if if you're going to pitch an idea, a concept, you know as well as anybody, right? That the better the name, the more it's going to stick in the mind of the hearer. The the more effective the type treatment, you know, the the, the more attractive and, and on brand for the particular concept, the more likely it's going to stick. And it has absolutely uh, proven to be the case. We have a we have a, I had a concept that. Um, I pitched for uh, for a touch-enabled device. Basically, allows us to put control, run any application on any device, and control it with multiple people collaboratively. And it's called Midas. And that because you know that was actually not mind pick for the name. Uh, it was picked by a guy, uh, the guy I report to. His name's Aaron Thiel. But it was a, it was absolutely the right name. And you would not believe that in a in a lab how powerful that is because. It's powerful anywhere. The name is, is how people, you know, it's the handle they have to your idea. And uh, that identity is just critical, it's, especially in an environment like this where you have 150 engineers. Uh, and 150 engineers are going to come up with typically the names for products we see floating around or, or concepts floating around are things like, you know, um, pixel automator for uh <laughs> Blah blah blah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. <laughs> so typically, then the next step is to reduce the that identity down to some kind of acronym like ALA Five, you know, the MX Five Thousand, and um, it's it's you know almost every cliche that design that, that we designers throw around about uh, corporate design is is valid. <laughs> the engineering right. Right. might be brilliant, but the but it's hard to sell the idea in a, in a in a an R and D lab, um, it's not. It's, let me put it this way: it's easier to sell an idea in an R and D lab or anywhere when that idea is clearly branded, clearly has a clear identity. You know, it's just, it's just a question of, of uh, communication. 
And um, so because a lot of these things uh, that you're pitching don't exist, are you, are you using things like Photoshop? I know that you said that you, you'll create identities and, and collateral. Are you using things like Photoshop to mock up like screenshots of, you know, say like the snowboarding thing you were talking about earlier before your pitches? Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, if, if anybody's listening out there wants to know, you know, how do you get into this job as, how do you get a job as a generalist? I would encourage them. You've got to be able to draw. You've got to be able to write and you've got to be able to draw. You've got to be able to paint a vision for people. And I'm not saying I do it well. I'm just saying I aspire to do it well because I know it works. It's extremely important. And when you are coming up with a new idea, especially if that idea is, is a little wonky, um, you know, the, you need to be able to, yeah, you've got to do all the engineering stuff like flow di- data flow diagrams and uh, entity relationship diagrams and class diagrams and UML and booch, blah, blah, blah. But you've also got at a higher level to make this the case for this idea clear to the organization, right? So you, you need to speak English and you've you got to be able to say, hey, this is what it's going to look like. And down to the level of absolutely, to the level of storyboarding. So I have, sure, I have the whole, my typical design setup is still the same. I'm using the full creative suite. Generally, I'm in, in design, not infrequently. I'm in Maya for 3D modeling. Um, and I'm in um, Photoshop, Illustrator, um, After Effects at times. And some of that is not just to make a pitch, you know, not just to develop collateral. Some of that is to publish design documents as we go and we say, hey, we're going to pull the trigger on this multi-million dollar effort to build whatever. And, and uh, you know, now we need to publish actual design documents. Um, so if you're going to be a generalist, uh, you, you know, in technology R&D, you're going to, you're going to just be so helped by empowered by by knowing how to paint a picture for somebody with words and with images and even with moving images um, and do it quickly so you know the design tools are just the design tool sets that's 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 the sweet spot you know right so so I watched a um recently I watched a TED talk by a former uh, NFL uh, punter by the name of Chris Cluey. Are you familiar with him? He's, he's kind of started to get a little bit into this augmented reality stuff, but he, um, he talks about the future of football and how fans will eventually get a firsthand view. Um, you know, we're already starting to see like GoPros and quarterback masks and things like that. Um, what, what type of things are, are, are out there? I mean, this may be a vague question, but you know, as far as like the, the potentials and the possibilities of what we could see in the very near future, as far as like how we, how we can experience sports at home, you know, watching from our own televisions, watching ESPN. Absolutely. This is, this is the, this is our bailiwick. This is exactly, these are the questions we asked every day, right? We're tracking all the, what, you know, who's he, what's it cool technology that's out there on the subject of the, of the first person view, we have a very close relationship with EA sports. And uh, which is a game or EA uh, game company, EA, mm-hmm. uh, among other game uh, development uh, interests. But um, years ago, we, we worked with them to get the first person camera in the helmet um, of the game. Uh, and then we have done uh, significant efforts to get uh, image capturing 
devices in the helmet, in the ball, in the, in the, right now we have GoPros, GoPros in, we recently did an experiment with GoPros in the, the first down markers and the end zone markers. Um, so you can get really great, great shots. For example, of the guy catching the pass and crashing into the marker and, you know, it all goes to heck. Um, it's pretty interesting. The, that is, that's, Interesting. That's challenging, though, that particular problem of the first person view, because uh, the NFL is understandably or the NBA, for that matter, understandably reluctant to alter the equipment in the slightest. Like, I mean, in the slightest. And you and mm-hmm. I GoPro is light, but they're, oh, it's more than a tenth of an ounce. Uh, no way. You know, oh, you're going to put something in the ball. Uh, never. You know, so (laughs) basically we are, we are, we are, we are pursuing technologies to track the ball, to give a viewpoint from the ball without ever touching the ball. Okay. So we want to answer the question of how can I give you the view from the quarterback's helmet without putting a camera in the quarterback's helmet? You're like, huh? No, that's possible. We're dealing with things like cameras that capture uh, the entire field, uh, large, uh, large swarms of, of or large groups of cameras all over the place uh, that will allow us to, to. You can see this actually. You can see some of this cropping up in broadcast uh, sports where you see them. They'll, yeah. They'll, so like maybe replays or whatever, and they'll spin the camera around and show like all these different angles or whatever. And it's almost like a live touchscreen type thing where they're just kind of moving it around. Yep. So there's, there's a whole aspect of, if you break our business down to like the, the business of capturing athletic, or capturing contests, athletic contests or sporting contests. Okay. We, we capture them and then we enhance them or improve them or recut them or however it is that we package it up. And then we distribute the, at every point along that chain, tools are needed or, or tools can improve the process, can improve the product, and that's technology. So uh, what we're doing is at every point in that process of, of capturing and producing and distributing, uh, we, are, uh, we are trying to apply you know, the, the technological acumen to, 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 to tease out new opportunities, maybe even new sports, maybe even um, – you know, completely new markets and, or, or, and we're, we're exerting ourselves at every point along that spectrum or along that pipeline. And we have situations like the whole, the view from the ball, the view from the, the player. We have things, for example, like, um, well, a lot of people don't see or know of things that are going on. For example, um, the business of capturing an event is very expensive. All right. To take, for example, when we go to X Games, uh, winter X Games, we take out, we fly 1,100 people out to Aspen um, and support them there for two weeks. Uh, wow. Or, and basically harness that entire mountain and set up three separate productions uh, or four, you know, whatever it is for the particular year. And we have a, a whole village made up of semi trucks. And I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. It, logistically, it's really impressive, but it's also really expensive. Um, and, and so there is a tremendous amount of work done, not so much on my 
particular, you know, group, but in the department, certainly, uh, uh, to, to consider how we might lower that cost, make that more efficient. For example, data compression. How are we going to get more footage faster at, at, at uh, less lossy compression schemes back to Bristol for production? Um, how can we make it possible, Adam, for example, to capture your son's, I'm assuming you have a son, if you, your, your child, yeah, two, your child, two boys. <laughs> so let's say they play peewee football. You want to see them. Why, why should we not be producing and distributing effectively to you wherever you want it on any device, your son's peewee football game? Why not? Well, right. the, the answer is right. It costs a lot of money <laughs> to, uh, you know, to identify the, the, uh, the event, get rights to the event, deal with the whole legal headaches, and then actually produce the event or capture the event. So technologically, it's, it's a huge cost. But a lot of effort has been spent and some very interesting initiatives, some of which I can't talk about, have, um, have, uh, are underway to, to do that, to make the acquisition of any sporting event at any level seamless and, and easy and, uh, uh, to, to capture and then um, make it beautifully produced to dis- distribute to anybody for you know, a good value. Um, the whole business of the internet and alternate platforms, alternate screens um, is, is major, 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 major to our business because we cut deals with cable companies you know, that might span three decades. And, and they lock you in. You know, a lot of people want to get ESPN, for example, and they, they can't because they, they don't want to pay the cable company, or the cable, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's some innovation that goes on, some significant innovation that's going on with respect to um, dealing with the Internet as the Internet and giving people the content that they want the way they want it. And they, you know, a lot of people nowadays don't want to get cable. I don't want to watch it on right. TV. I, I, one of the reasons why I keep cable is because of um, of ESPN, honestly. And just li- I think sports is probably a reason. Live sports is probably a reason why a lot of people don't cut the cord. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And and um, you know, I'm sure we have a thousand a thousand people that are just looking at that problem. Maybe not a thousand because not that big a company. Um, but you know, the, the the company is a really neat company. Uh, you you get a vibe. It, there's kind of a blue collar vibe, just a, a, you know, a normal guy, a normal, normal person kind of vibe that you feel in the, uh, like the sports, uh, sports center commercial commercials. Um, you know, those yeah. are filmed right in the office. You might be walking down the hallway and there's a film crew, you know, and they're, they're filming another one. There's a dude in a mascot uniform and he's doing his thing. And are uh, those produced in house completely? Absolutely. Like, wow. right. Right in the hallway. So um, the idea, I mean, it's almost like an in-house uh, advertising agency doing this type of stuff. Sure. Well, I don't wow. know if the agency, I'm sure the agency, our agency of record and, uh, you know, our marketing department are, are, are basically picking and choosing and producing, you know, are actually connecting all the dots. But yeah, absolutely. We, we film it. We film it. Uh, I don't know who's writing the scripts and, you know, who's, who's coming yeah. up with but uh, yeah, they are, they are actually produced in house. So it's kind of cool. Hey, can you touch a, a, a little bit on the, uh, on the new studio before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about Troika um, and their, 
sort of rebranding of the uh, uh, motion package. Do you have any involvement with any outside vendors like that? And then and also, what did your specific department have to do with this new studio? The second part of that is a really big question. The first part of that, uh, the involvement with outside vendors and general comments on the new motion graphics package. I did not work with Troika because that that work is all done through cre- what the department here called Creative Services. And Creative Services is uh, like two floors up in this building. They're great folks that work with uh, the branding agencies or external contractors or whatever it may be to come up with the look and, you know, do the lookbook thing and, and uh, storyboard out the motion graphics packages, identify all the elements, and you would be blown away by the number of just the sheer number of elements and treatments that have to go into a package like that. I mean, it's, it's nuts. It's really uh, quite impressive from a designer standpoint. I mean, it's, it's really just the sheer volume of work. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the, the uh, fascinating breakdown on the, uh, the rebranding of creative, uh, creative suite for Adobe and how many versions of every different, you know, piece of that system they had to create. Um, it's fascinating, but in like that, the motion graphics, uh, done by Troika, excuse me, with our creative services guys, just intense, hundreds of elements, just amazing. And then most of those, I would say many of those elements, Adam, are dynamic, of course, meaning that the content will change and the color will change. And the, to most cases, the typography stays the same for certain, you know, elements in the, in the in the, the composition uh, or layout. But, uh, you know, there's, for example, when they do things like the bottom line or the ticker and the sidebar, uh, which they think they call the rundown, um, and then they do a pop-up window for, you know, a gra- some kind of infographic, and then they pop, you know, so managing the frame of the broadcast uh, is really interesting. Do we pop up the Sports Center bug? If we have the bottom line in, if we have the bottom line in, can we pop up the, you know, can we pop up the headshot and, and all of these kind of contingent contingency rules for what you can show when, and then on top of that, all the different creative variations on a, on a particular type of stunt, for example, like the top 10. Okay. There's more than one top 10. We have a completely newly re-engineered top 10 that integrates with, uh, is driven on the new system that we built for them conceived of and built for them. So that's pretty awesome. I did not, I do not have any direct creative uh, input. It's funny though, because uh, I don't have any formal direct creative input. There are times when pixels that came off of my Photoshop on my computer have been all over the screen because for example, uh, we did a, um, for the BCS championships, we did tabletop and the, the layers to create uh, a football field. We did, we did a digitally rendered football field, the layers, including the burn in the, the scuff marks, the, uh, the, the actual grass textures, the, all of that highly tweaked. Like there's, you know, numerous layers in Photoshop with all kinds of different layer, uh, later layer relationships and masks and, you know, all the stuff that we typically use in Photoshop making a composition. I did all that. Right. And, and then it went right to air. So it's interesting. Um, but a, a package, a motion package like what Troika did is so um, highly scrutinized and so important that uh, it's the product of, 
I probably would say years. Uh, probably, I think it was two years, maybe, in development. Um, and I don't know what you know about it, but it's called the Living Canvas. And the concept is basically that the images that we show are uh, like a like a seamless canvas that can that can move around. the The, the studio itself becomes a canvas, and you can see the trajectory of set design going this way as we are more and more able to use uh, larger numbers of displays as the bezels on the displays virtually disappear um, so the displays can be uh, assembled together and make up walls. You've seen walls. You'll see now Mm -hmm. you'll see curving surfaces. You'll see robotically controlled displays. You'll see displays that that move uh, and rotate. Um, and frankly, the, if you think about it and I'm convinced and it, you know, I'm saying this here, I'm pretty much the only person I know saying this out here, but, but the, the 16 by nine rectangle is what every broadcaster uses in their composition. When they build their frames, they've got touchscreen. The touchscreen is 16 by nine. All of the images are 16 by nine. All of the, you know, and it's completely not necessary. If they're going to, they've got to do more than just, I'm convinced we have to do more than just change the colors and change the animations and change the motion. We have to break the frame. We have to break the frame in a number of different ways. Get rid of the rectangle or break it at least, come out of it, um, create display surfaces that are, that are non-planar, um, create uh, the transitions between real and virtual displays. Uh, that are seamless and and that will really kind of open up creative possibilities and so the system that we made now coming to the second part of your question the system that we conceived of and and built for the new studio um, has exactly that in mind we can create a display of any size any number of displays and in that current studio for sports center there's 115 i believe we went from 15 displays think about having 15 televisions in your house to 115 televisions and the cabling alone is mind-blowing and then if you've got it you got to think that all of those all of those televisions all of those displays have to be color matched so just like when we bring in different elements of a composition in photoshop right and we have to we color balance them we make the white level the same you know the whites are the right. same say we, we check the whole spectrum we do our you know uh curves adjustments and we, we balance all that well, you have to do all that in real time. Well, you have to do that all the time for anything that appears in camera. And every camera has to be color balanced to every other camera. And on set, I think we have something like 15 cameras maybe on set. Uh, we have cameras that are robotic cameras on the grid that are you know confidence cameras that are looking down, allow us to have different perspectives on different parts of the set. The, the set for Sports Center itself is broken into many subsets. So they're, they're, they can take shots uh, in the annex, in the, what we call the ice cube, they can take shots on. Uh, they can take shots on four different sides, of four different walls on the main set. They can shoot in the center. They can shoot uh, in the annex up on the second floor. Um, it's pretty crazy, and 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 uh, but it's fascinating. It, it it brings up some fascinating opportunities and fascinating problems. That's insane, man. So I can't imagine the common viewer doesn't think about all these screens, and if one screen 
is off in, in color balance, I mean, I would imagine that it sticks out like a sore thumb on, on a broadcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're, you're hundred percent right. And, and not only that, but then you're mixing graphics. So like you got, let's say at the Breeders Cup, which is in Louisville, Kentucky, right? Run at Churchill Downs and the, you have something like 38 cameras roaming that track. And each of those cameras is sending back an image. And if you want to cut that image in at any time to the broadcast and it's being done live, it's insane. It has to match. The whites have to match. Just, I mean, all you and I are talking about right now is color balancing. And that is just one dimension of a much, much, much more complex, large problem. Um, now you want to say, well, okay, not only does everything have to be balanced, but it's got to be balanced on 115 displays, not 15 displays. And so you got some guy, you know, some person who's turning knobs to, to balance each of these things. The, the, this, the scale issue is really kind of off the charts. But then... You, you have opportunities because you now can put, for example, like we have with the North Wall, which is that big sculptural wall that's made up of 56 displays. Each display is anywhere from like 48 to 56 inches uh, across, uh, 50, 52 inches across. And, uh, you know, now you can begin to show over-the-shoulder shots. You can be, basically, you, you, you can begin to shoot the show unlike the show has ever been able to be shot. Because if you think about it, in the past, in the old Sports Center studio, you had one primary monitor, okay? And people would sit in front of that monitor. And so your shots were always framed the same way, and they were at a certain distance with the camera. And um, now you can, you can do shots at much larger distances and get much more into frame without throwing more, you know, more bezels into frame. In other words, the images have become in a way architectural. And this is, mark my words, I believe we are on a transition. We are on a trajectory between these, these little picture frames of televisions in the studio to images anywhere at any time, anywhere. We are working, for example, on, um, I myself am working on technology that has, instead of uh, the, 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 the talent, uh, we call it the talent is the analyst or the, the, the actor. Instead of them walking up to a, a display and, and dealing with it, we can put anything in any display at any time, anywhere. And that includes projections. That includes you name it. If that be the wow. case, you can have the content follow the analyst. If the analyst wants to walk around, they can follow Say he wants to look at three headshots, and he says, okay, I'm going to walk to the center of the studio. Well, they follow him out of the display into virtual space, and now they're, they're, they're still there with him. It, 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 makes, it makes a whole new way of shooting possible. The, the question really then becomes, is the, does the company understand? Does, 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 does the cameraman understand? Do the directors and the producers understand what they can do and, and does the talent know how to act? I mean, we rehearsed for something like six weeks, I think it was six to eight weeks straight it was just rehearsals in that new studio because they had, they had to shoot it totally differently. And, um, and so I've got to go on. It's pretty fascinating. Uh, did that answer your question? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when do you do you think that we'll ever get to the point where say I'm sitting in my living room watching watching a broadcast of I don't know a basketball game or something and you know how occasionally you'll show like the the graphics of X player who is six foot seven and whatever, you know, however many pounds or whatever. And, the, and they'll show that or maybe show like comparisons or something like, look at this guy guarding this guy. And here's the height difference. Are we ever going to get to the point where I'm going to literally see that uh, almost like holographic in front of me in my living room so that now I can compare myself and walk up to this uh, this thing? Yeah, that's a fantastic idea. That's a fantastic idea. I'm patenting that. <laughs> well, well, well here, here, here's here's another one for you too. So I let's say I'm at a um, World Cup. Obviously, it's hot right now, right? So tons and tons of people go to this thing. I'm sitting way up. Um, I see a player. Uh, I don't know number eight, and I'm like, you know, I, I have this tendency to to see a player, see his name, and then and then all of a sudden I'm going to my phone and I want to look him up and be like, oh, who is this guy? Like, where did he come from? Like. Uh, what's his what's his pass? Well, uh, if it's a pro sport, it might be like what college did he go to? That kind of thing. Are, are we going to get to the point where that that interaction is going to be so much easier? Where say maybe Nike or Adidas or or Under Armour is working with you guys uh, with with technology in the in the uniforms, where now I can just hold my phone up to that player, and somehow it's almost like a a, a QR code. It reads. Uh, I don't know, near field technologies or whatever, maybe sitting that far away is, is too far. But but then all of a sudden it's like now I get the stats or like when I hold it up, almost like Google Glass, I hold my phone up to the guy and I see like his statistics or, or anything I really need to see while while he's moving right through my through the lens of my phone or through like Google Glasses. Yes. 100 percent. Yes. Listen, and there's one thing, Adam, uh, that I have seen proven over and over again. If you can think of it, it can happen. In fact, the, the, we, we tend to, I think, underestimate how uh, unimaginative we are. Uh, I do, certainly. You know, I think, oh, this is crazy. This could never happen. And then you find out somebody did it, you know, five years ago. Um, right, right. <laughs> same thing, right? But I, in, Maybe in, it was ahead of its time, too, right? <laughs> whenever whenever <laughs> it was done. What is going to actually make money with it? Um, yeah, that's true. Uh, and I... I think that uh, those things are definitely on the table. Um, you know, if you can put an image anywhere, all right, if you can do it with sufficient precision and speed, well, you could sell uh, every square inch of a player's jersey dynamically in virtual space live, like as an auction, if you wanted to take it into like crazy land. So you're talking wow. about revenue streams now from micro ads, which are projected onto the player's jersey um, for the broadcast. And then we do things already with things, uh, for example, where we change the we change the uh, the broadcast graphics to different languages, or we put we insert different ads for different markets, not as commercials, but in the stadium on the field, right? So you have. Uh, sponsored by Budweiser in one market. You take exactly the same footage and you pipe it out to another market and you have Miller. You understand? Yeah. It's, it's a question of if you can control the visual field, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to do things like stats, uh, you know, get stats from players? Are you going to do things like track the ball? Are you going to do things like insert ads? Yes, all of it. And, and that's, that's, that's kind of the, 
the challenge. You say, all right, you got your Lego box. You can control the visual field. What are you going to do with it? And, um, and getting the ability to, to pull content out of the broadcast. Because right now we have the, the primary channel, let's say ESPN, the main channel on cable. We are absolutely, we are not technologically limited in as much as really as we are limited legally to having that interact with your Xbox or having that come to your a hologram on your floor or having right. it come, you know, your Google Glass. It's really the, the, the obstacles are legal obstacles primarily, not obstacles of, uh, of, of technological capability really. So I guess it's probably a lot of things, certain things are like copyrighted or something, right? Where you can't necessarily try to put it in as, as simple terms as I can. Apple can't uh, have an iPad app that reads the books that you download from the iBook store because there's a verbal copyright on it from, as well as the actual like written, written copyright. So it's, it's something like that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> In Spain, uh, that may be way too <laughs> way off way off topic, but I'm trying to I'm trying to to come up with a metaphor. <laughs> it's really the right idea, Adam. Uh, the I did not fully appreciate though that if you take it for example as a magazine show, right, is going to be including snippets of audio and video and still imagery all over the place. The whole idea is it's a collage. Right, you've got this curator who's going out. Uh, ESPN, in this case, is the curator, and we're saying we're going to go collect a bunch of news, or we're going to collect a bunch of information and clips and whatnot. And a lot of times, those have people or things in them that require license releases, right, or fees to be paid. And then those may come themselves, like uh, Getty Images, right? We use as designers, we use Getty Images, or we use uh, iStock Photo, or any number of whoever's the latest, right? Any rights-controlled uh, asset, when it's included, may have a long tail of conditions. And then you're, you're, you're including those things at 60 frames a second. So every one of those frames could be a, a change or a variation or it, you know, an introduction of a new asset. Or you know, uh, does the asset have to be a certain size in order to the, you know, when we do a, when we do an animation on screen, and we take a picture of uh, LeBron James that was taken by a Getty photographer, and we scale it from the bottom left to the top right. And uh, you know, did we just did we just invoke a uh, you know a change to our our rights agreements? Did we have to pay more money? And one of the some of the guys I work with uh, created a brilliant system that really saved ESPN's bacon at a point some years ago because uh, ESPN was just finding it really difficult to track all these rights claims. And if you, if, if any of the people to whom you owed a payment could demonstrate that you had not paid them, well, you were liable for fees. And so ESPN was paying millions of dollars in fees, not because we were trying to get away with anything, but because it was just the scale and complexity of a new format uh, and all of the rights obligations that it, that it introduced or, or entailed was just unmanageable. So guys in our department figure out a way to manage that more, more, um, you know, more uh, efficiently so that we don't end up paying a ton of fees. But that's, that's, uh, that's, that's totally uh, an interesting dimension to including images. It's not like a static, you know, it's not like doing a poster where I pay getting images for, you know, for a copy. 
Um, and, and maybe I pay them if it's produced uh, or posted, you know, or printed a certain number of times um, or a website. It's kind of that in spades. So your, your, your company is uh, very focused on broadcasting and increasing the experience that we, we get at home or, or physically through watching these broadcasts wherever we may be, devices or, or what have you. Is there any concern that it, it will become too comfortable and, and the exp- like right now the exp- it's it's for many sports it's a way better experience for me honestly to watch it on my 60 inch tv with my sons at home and uh you know in the comfort of my own home than to pack everybody up go to a game find parks at what point uh is it going to become too comfortable where ticket sales are suffering and more people are watching from home is there do you guys sort of think about that are there solutions for that i mean possibly espn sells augmented reality tickets where i can buy a ticket from home and now experience it in a certain way or are those things that are just going to be presented um as part of our our paid content no you're 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 thinking right down the line man that's uh, that's exactly an issue it is a major issue actually Attendance at these venues, these big, big parks, big, uh, big stadia is a problem. I should say lack of attendance uh, or declining attendance. And you see these, these venues scrabbling for ways to, to make the experience unique, uh, to give people a better experience when they're in the stadium, to compensate for uh, a lack of, you know, there's no yellow line on the field. So now what, you know, are you going to be able to address that? So you have, we have, and actually we have professional, uh, we have, um, collegiate and professional franchises coming to us, to our department to help them figure out how to recover lost sales, you know, how to, how to increase the sales of tickets in their venue. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it almost seems like a catch-22, right? Because you're wanting to have a lot of viewers and, and present the best experience possible as you can, but at the same time, like for the team to continue playing, I mean, obviously they're getting re- advertising revenue or whatever from from television or or like SEC Network or whatever like that. But it, it yeah, I mean, it just seems like a, a, a chicken and egg thing almost, you know? Exactly, exactly. And in, you shouldn't be surprised to see NFL Network MLB network, even to the degree now that you'll start having teams with their own networks, their own, you know, we're having conferences now with their own networks. We're having uh, universities with their own networks. Uh, Basically, people are understanding that their content is what people want. And whether they get it in the, you know, they get it in the uh, home theater or they get it in the stadium, uh, they want to be compensated for it. And this, in its radical expression, right, the terminus of this is that everybody runs their own network, you know, and nobody can see us unless they pay a fee. <laughs> in fact, it's right. done by CRUD. It was posted, I think, to Core 77 uh, last week, and it's uh, a girl who did uh, – it's like the ultimate in the quantified self or the, the – the, uh, She's basically selling herself in every dimension, and and you're seeing this on a on a slower, broader up you know level with teams recognizing that they're selling themselves and that they want to be in charge of that content, and that yeah, like selling- Longhorn Network, 
right? That was sort of one of the, the first ones. I actually worked at I, uh, IMG College uh, back when it was host communication. So I know that they, uh, them and ESPN had a, had a huge role in that. Yeah, no, I think Longhorn Network we own. Uh, I think if we have not owned it, we have a very tight relationship there. Um, yeah. And some of our stuff, uh, some of the people from this department actually went to Longhorn Network. Uh, you know, I have the SEC network coming out of, uh, I think it's North Carolina. We broadcast from our studios there. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about that one. I'm a, I'm a big SEC guy myself. I, it's funny. I college football is, is fantastic. And it's, I think it's one of the strongest things that ESPN has got. Uh, we have a really good contract with, uh, or, or deal with, uh, tennis and we have a really good contract with, uh, college football. So they're great. And we have our studios in, uh, in North Carolina that uh, I think are heading that up. And Tebow is going down there to be a, um, or is already down there maybe for the launch of SEC Network. Yeah, that's where Feinbaum's at too, right? Paul Feinbaum. Isn't he maybe. down that way? Yeah, you may be right about that. So what, what um, if somebody wanted to get into uh, doing what you're doing, I know that you kind of gave a little bit of information earlier, but how can someone go from like you said, you, you used to be doing a lot of branding stuff and uh, ran your own branding studio. How do you, how do you get involved with, with this stuff? I mean, augmented reality, it's here, you know, like Google glass is right around the corner. How do we start jumping into this and learning how to design, whether it's interfaces for it or, or, you know, testing for it or those types of things when you maybe don't have the types of budgets that like an ESPN would have. Sure. No, absolutely. If you've been watching, um, it's definitely moving down market, and it's and it's and it's broadening out. So, uh, not just with devices like Google Glass, but with, for example, the ability to uh, take the Android phone and put it in Google Cardboard. Uh, you know, put it as a head up, heads up display uh, that you're looking through, and you can augment the frame there. The, the old the old uh, design questions still apply, um, and the ability to compose the visual field. Uh, well and to direct the eye and to communicate meaning in the proper hieratic you know kind of structure and uh, to excite to direct to communicate all those things are still valid and so there's there's a tremendous you would say that there's an even greater demand because the volume of, of work is going up it may be shifting somewhat from print to digital but uh, there's a massive uh, demand for increasing demand for people who are virtuosos at managing the, the visual field and, and communicating visually. Um, what I do is, is a, is really kind of weird, uh, in planet. Um, I studied English literature in undergraduate and graduate school and I did not have, you know, I basically tested out of taking mathematics and now, you know, what I do now is, uh, programming in, in just about every major language and using mathematics, linear algebra, uh, you know, crazy. I never would have predicted it. And, uh, and, and I, I think you got it. First of all, I would be open to that. If you're the kind of person who is insatiably curious and you like to work in different things, you, you, in other words, you're not just a, you're not just a Photoshop master, but you, you, you not only enjoy doing digital painting, but you say, uh, enjoy, um, uh, electronics. Well, we are entering a time, we are in a time now where uh, there is, there are places for generalists who are both electronics, uh, robotics people, as well as 
um, digital painters. Or maybe the digital painting thing becomes a tool that you use in your robotics. And, um, and I think that that's, that's kind of the side, the, the, the way I'm doing things here, or that I, the place that, uh, by heaven's mercies, I have come to here. Um, in that, and I think that others can do that. If I were to give advice, I would say be, be very curious, master something, but also become 80% capable at a lot of other things. You know, if you if you if you're an expert at uh, user experience, there's a ton of need for that here. If you're an expert at uh, specifically uh, user interface uh, as as a subset under user experience, is fantastic. Um, infographic design that's a huge deal. I presented at Visualize the Visualize conference this year. You know, ESPN Adam has got data on sports that you just can't imagine. I mean, if you just take baseball pitches, I mentioned them earlier. We have something like three million or two and a half million baseball pitches, and I don't mean just uh, you know Joey threw a slider in this game. We have all the game and, and inning and player and team and, and league level statistics that you could want, but we also have wow. the actual pitch. We have the actual pitch. We have, we know exactly where it went in space because we track it with radar at every game. So what are you going to do with that? How, what what you know? We have the heat map, okay. Uh, we do it with soccer too, right? The heat maps, but that's passe, man, and it's pretty limited, simple. We're working on—I'm particularly working on—very high volume visualization of of data in real time, clouds of data um, that move and that you can walk around and through. Um, and if people are interested in, in my all this to say, you know, if folks are interested in data. The representation, visualization, understanding of data is hugely important in this business. Um, we have a, a the, the, we are a broadcast company, but that really is is beside. That's kind of going by the by. Um, broadcast, or you could say, just change the definition. The, broad, the definition of broadcast has changed, right? We can I can get on iPhone, Adam. Everything that we broadcast, and the only reason. You might not be able to, is because maybe you haven't cut that deal with your cable company. On the other hand, with Watch ESPN, maybe you do have that capability. A lot of people do have that capability, and and the integration of different systems. Uh, and so we have game developers, we have um, mobile application developers. Huge demand for uh, UI design for for motion graphics design. Um, you know, it's just it's exploding in terms of. Visual assets. Visual assets are, are becoming more and more flexible, more and more ubiquitous everywhere, um, and and we need people who are really good at it. I'll give you an example. Uh, the new studio, you can basically change the color on any surface, uh, anywhere you look. You can change the color. I want I want the bezel on that thing to be a different color. Okay, done. I want. To, well, they ran a big investor demo here, and a um, bunch of important people coming through. You see the new facility and. And they're like, well, we're going to show them how awesome it is. And they basically turned everything a different color, right? That's the <laughs> oh, man. thing in the visual field was crazy colors. And then they started changing the colors, right? So, oh, look, we could do a whole rainbow. And the rainbows are out of phase with one another. And, and you know, and to an engineer, they're like, oh, my goodness, that's awesome. But to someone who's a master of the visual field, right, the, what you include and what you exclude, they're equally important. And, and right. 
and discipline and restraint and focus and, you know, all of those things um, play a huge role. And as the, 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 the composition of our broadcast frame becomes more dynamic, in other words, we're not just putting up still shots or still graphics, full frame graphics, but we're throwing graphics around the studio. Um, we need, we need people who are gifted uh, visual designers to facilitate that. Um, so there's, there's, there's the generalist thing, which is kind of what I do and, you know, super technical, whatever. Um, but there's also, we have a tremendous need for pure, um, pure visual artists. Um, and, uh, I don't know, does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do. I do have another one, though, based off your your comment about having all this data. At, at what point uh, is ESPN? Uh, maybe they already have this. I mean, is there like a consulting arm of, of ESPN that is maybe not broadcast, but like is actually actively working with teams and with athletes to present this data to them so that they can actually get better as an athlete? To a degree. To a degree. So you, you think, yeah, exactly. I mean, you're, you're, again, you're thinking right in the lines that uh, a lot of people here are thinking uh, and have been thinking for a while that the, we do have that going on. And um, we have specific initiatives with, like, the, I think it's the Jacksonville, is it the Jaguars? I think they're one team, the Miami, yeah. some Miami teams we have relationships with, the Dolphins, for example. And those are just the ones I know about. And believe me, I don't know at all. So the, I, there's other stuff out there. But yeah. People are looking for ways to uh, to use that data as itself a product of value to someone, you know, a service of value to someone. You know, in a in a way, we could have the most awesome films of other teams that we could provide to you know a given team for their review and analysis uh, that anyone could have. Right. From, from the film and data perspective, for sure. But also from, even with specifically what you're doing with augmented reality, I mean, uh, you know, uh, in this Ted video that I watched and I'll, I'll put this in the show notes, but I keep referring to it where the quarterback is now looking at plays through his visor or being able to see mathematically or whatever the ball, or he's able to see exactly where to throw a ball and maybe a spot lights up on the field. And it's like, throw the ball here because the you know, mathematically the receiver will, should be in that area when, when you throw the ball. I mean, that's yeah. like making the sport itself better and not just the broadcast better, right? That's like a whole new initiative. I mean, obviously it drives, it drives the broadcast like, or the experience of sports of people wanting to watch it. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's a great, it's a great point. Um, you know, uh, uh, race car drivers having the optimal lines being driven, you know, written out on the, on the course while they're driving. Uh, based on their current velocity and side loading and, and the condition of the car and this blah, 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 blah. Uh, yeah. I mean, all of that basically is life as a video game. And I'm not commending that. Let me be real clear. I, I, I am not commending that life is a video game. It's not a video game. And um, that said, the more and more pervasive computing we have, the more immediate our visual creations can become real-time rendering is about creating a visual field instantly and constantly updating it and that means i want to paint this i want to see this i want to put a, a line on the on the track okay i want to put a spot on the field for him to throw okay fine 
it, but it, it does have serious, I mean, I don't even begin to, 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 to uh, understand all of them or most of them even. The, the implications are massive for not only sport but life, you know. It's absolutely yes, that's all uh, underway. And it's just a question of um, making it happen. Uh, but within a corporation, you got to make it happen within the context of that corporation. And, you know, the, the, the customer's got to want it. You have to be able to navigate relationships with other participants in making that product like the NFL. But, yeah, you, those things are out there. And, uh, you know, we, were, we, we have uh, – I was – I was uh, working with the Aspen Institute earlier this year as well on, uh, and I still am working on with them on project play, which is getting children to be more active. How do we get children to be more active? How, how, because there is a, there's a crisis, um, in this. And they asked me to participate because I do a lot of work with video games and game rendering and, and, uh, and using that for sport and, and so forth. Um, and there is, no small amount of interest in augmenting the real world as a game. So the children are running around. Um, you know, you've heard of geocaching. That's kind of like a super slow snapshot. Right. Version. Um, but imagine now that your, your children are, uh, you know, they're, they're running around the neighborhood um, based on visual inputs that they're receiving in real time uh, overlaying on the, the neighborhood architecture streets there are there are some very interesting initiatives underway for this and uh, and basically the technical limitations at this point are just a matter of tracking the head uh, tracking the eye position of the the player and tracking the global location of the player fast enough and with enough precision and at low enough cost and we're getting very close to where it wow. would just look yeah have you seen um, Nike put out a five-minute animated short w- with the World Cup, and it's it's a lot of their signed popular players from around the world. But basically, this guy creates robots, <laughs> robotic players, and they they play the game, and then so they're they're so good, and they make no errors that the um, the human players end up losing their jobs and are no longer playing professional soccer because the fans basically got. Um, you know, there was too much human error and it was like, here's a perfect game. Right. But then it became to the point where it was like, it's too perfect. The human error is actually part of the interesting, uh, element of this sport. So I guess I'm curious if that's something that's, that's talked about there. Like at what point does the technology become so perfect that there is no human error? And so then at, at that point, it's like, it's so perfect that is it really even that interesting anymore? Right. Exactly. It's like watching paint dry. Well, what the company, <laughs> you know, it's like, we know the paint's going to dry, but it always dries. And it's basically, okay, it's completely deterministic. And there's a, it's, I think the company talks about this by way of talking about something uh, a little bit lower level or, or, or higher, if you want to think about a higher level, uh, which is people want to see, we want to see stories. We want to hear stories. And we, we want to hear the ancient, you know, and I was an English major, so forgive me if I launch on you for a minute here. But, but one of the ancient patterns, right, is a human actor or a human, uh, a human engaged in some 
narrative. He, he, he's in time, he or she seeks a goal or is frustrated in the intent, you know, in, in, in seeking a goal and, or they, 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 they meet up with other human beings and they have relationships with those human beings in time and they do interesting things. And we, uh, we either aspire to like them or to participate with them, or we are surprised by them, or we, you know, we, uh, we are, we are, uh, we are delighted by what we see. We, you know, the, the, as readers or viewers, we, are, we have wonder. Okay. This is where you, you know, we, we love to, to watch uh, superlative athletes, athletes who are the best or the worst. And we love to see what happens when they deal with failure or they deal with success. And we love to see what happens when they get together. And, and all of those human foibles and, and dynamics are, are what we, our stories are made of. Our stories are not made up of perfect soccer play, just as you noted. It just isn't it, that nobody would watch. And, and right. what people want. Now, that has a prurient uh, kind of nasty side to it or can, you know, where we want to see people suffer. We want to see, you know, we want to see people's, we want to hear gossip about what they're doing, at, you know, in their social lives. And uh, that, those also are stories that end up getting told at times. But the stories of sports uh, are generally, I think, pretty strong, uh, strong stories about really great people doing interesting things, interacting with one another in interesting ways, in, in flawed ways. And so perfection really mitigates against having a good product, <laughs> having a good business. Right. Cool, man. I could literally talk to you about this stuff all day. <laughs> Where, uh, where can our listeners find out more about you or maybe get in touch or possibly even see, uh, some of your work? Uh, uh, interesting question. I probably should have come primed to answer that question. They can email me at hans.c.anderson at ESPN.com. That's A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N. And, um, and I have a Behance, uh, portfolio, some of my stuff from when I was doing a little bit more graphical, you know, uh, graphical work, um, and that's at Behance. And I would have to, you can post it in the show notes, man. We'll fix this in post. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I actually, I have it up. It's behance.net uh, forward slash HV Anderson. But I'll, I'll post it uh, as, as show notes as well. But um, I, I imagine it's tough to probably show some of the, uh, the more technical, technologically advanced work in, in traditional methods. <laughs> I was, it's funny because I was looking at, I was looking at a guy really, I, I love his work. His name is Brett Victor. Um, and he was an inventor for Apple. And basically as uh, his period of working for Apple, he can show nothing. <laughs> it's like a big, oh, empty, yeah. and it's, it's just, they're very careful uh, about what we are, you know, with what we're able to talk about. Uh, right. Has, you know, it's, it's not up to date because the, the stuff I'm doing for ESPN is a little bit more, you know, be careful what you say and show. But uh, yeah, if people have questions, by all means, get in contact with me. Feel free. You can give me my phone number. That's fine. No big deal. Awesome, man. I, I really appreciate this. I appreciate it. It's fun to talk about it. And you're, you're an excellent interviewer. Thanks a ton, man. <laughs> right, thanks, man. Uh, my next guest is going to be Darren Crescenzi. Darren is a New York-based designer and art director who creates compelling experiences through visual identity design, experience design, and image making. He's worked exclusively in developing brand strategy, visual identity, environmental, and product design for consumer-centric global brands across a wide range of industries. From a sports perspective, Darren got a start at uh, Nike, 
uh, working in the global initiatives team for Nike Brand Design, where he developed seasonal campaigns, visual identity, and experience design um, for innovative products, athletes, and sports moments. His most notable work is probably the uh, Team USA 2012 London Olympics basketball uniforms. He also did the iconic LeBron James identity, as well as the highly acclaimed launch of the Nike Plus Fuel Band. On a side note, Darren is also uh, noted for his Houses of Westeros poster uh, for any Game of Thrones fans that may be listening to this. Uh, He has received awards from major business and design industry publications, including being named one of Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business and the Art Directors Club uh, Young Guns in New York. Currently, Darren is the design director at Interbrand, which is a global branding consultancy in New York. You can check out his work at DarrenCrescenzi.com. Um, I will put a link in the show notes, but that is D-A-R-R-I-N-C-R-E-S-C-E-N-Z-I.com. Or you can follow him on Twitter at quick underscore brown underscore fox. At quick brown fox with underscores between the words. Uh, big thanks again to Hans Anderson. Uh, be sure to follow myself on Twitter at T. Adam Martin. And then also follow the show at Makers of Sport. Check out the website, um, makersofsport.com. Leave me a review if you can, makersofsport.com slash iTunes. And if you happen happen to notice, uh, I am a bit on more of a regular schedule now. The shows are releasing about every other week, so uh, please expect the show every other week. Thank you. Until next time.